It is not uncommon uh, in cartoons to see some uh, figure caught in the crosshairs of an ethical dilemma, pondering the options in front of him with uh, a little angel resting on one shoulder and a little demon uh, on the other, both sort of coaching him to go down respective paths. And generally, um, the little demon is making the far more interesting case and tends to win. We uh, dismiss all of this as a bit cartoonish, but at the same time, we would also recognize that there are moments when it sure seems like we have a little demon sitting on our shoulder coaching us to do things that we ought not to do. And that's a bit disturbing. Even more disturbing is the suggestion that seems to grow out of this sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, that God himself may be tempting us. Why would that happen? What exactly does it mean to be tempted? And why would we be instructed by Christ to ask a good God, right, our holy and loving Heavenly Father, to not lead us down the wrong path? What is behind the sixth and final request that we are instructed to make? These are some of the questions that we ask as we come to this uh, incredibly important and frequently misunderstood closing section to the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as we have done in the past, what I'd like to do is uh, unpack a couple of the more significant terms and then look at the uh, underlying assumptions that are behind them and then uh, talk about how we actually might lean into this as we think, live, uh, and pray. And in terms of terms, there are two here that are of particular interest, temptation and evil. Let's start with the second one first. Evil, or more specifically, probably the evil one. Uh, the, the Greek term here is in the masculine case and the definite article is in front of it. Which means that uh, uh, it would likely more accurately be translated as the evil and this is the way that Christ frequently refers to his adversary, especially in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so because of that, a number of translations, when it comes to Matthew 6 in particular, which is where we are looking, there are two different passages or books that contain the Lord's Prayer. We've been looking in Matthew 6. Many translations, such as the NIV, now just translate this, keep us from the evil one. What is being referred to here is Satan, the devil, uh, and in corresponding ways to his uh, legion of foot soldiers called demons. Now, let me just step back and recognize that some of you aren't entirely certain what to make of this idea of an evil one. And I understand that. I remember quite specifically about 30 years ago after coming to faith in Christ being presented with this and going, huh, I raised my hand to say that I believed in God. I'm not happy to hear that that now includes uh, needing to believe in the devil. And then it became sort of clear that some people thought uh, Satan was under every rock and every hardship they were facing. And I wasn't even certain that I believed that he existed. Now, 
For the record, both of those extremes are wrong. And I think C.S. Lewis, as he so frequently does, captures this brilliantly. He writes, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Uh, Satan is not under every rock. Uh, We need to to be very clear about this. He is not somehow God's equal but opposite. He is not an omnipresent being. And we give him way too much credit when we suggest in any way, shape, or form that he is. He is very limited. And also, uh, for the record, I want to be clear that when we talk about Satan, we're not talking about some, you know, guy in a red suit with a pointed tail and a pitchfork and horns, uh, it would be nice if that were the case. Uh, The fact is, that image of Satan came about a couple hundred years ago by those who were seeking to mock him. The recognition was that Satan's quintessential quality and flaw was his enormous ego and pride. And so in an effort to sort of drive him away, they created this real comic picture of him. The fact is, evil is far more insidious than that. Evil is large and cosmic and organized and pervasive and deadly. It is real. And we need to recognize that there is, in fact, a counterinsurgency. That there is, a, there is an attack that is going on against God's good kingdom. There are forces and powers and principalities that seek to undermine uh, our lives and seek to undermine God's kingdom. And, and it, is, it is a wickedness, it is a, it is a desperate, uh, dark, banal, monotonous, destructive wickedness. Now, it doesn't present itself as that at all because no one is attracted to that. It presents itself as the exact opposite. Evil presents itself as being a form of of freedom, of of being slightly dangerous and sexy and something that if you were really wanting to live, you need to to lean into. That is not what evil is at all. Evil is simply the destruction of good. It can only destroy. And it is real. There is a real battle going on out there with real bullets being fired and real people being hurt. It's hard to define evil. We can get, we can get sideways trying to figure out why God allows it and when he's going to stop it. But this much is clear. Evil exists. And we find ourselves in a spiritual battle. Set that aside for a second. The second word that we need to unpack here is the word temptation. And in the Greek, there are, uh, the word is periosmos, and, and this word periosmos actually has two s- somewhat related but distinctly different ideas behind it. The first is an enticement to sin. Now, please understand, temptation is not sin. 
It is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way that we have been and yet was without sin. Speaking about uh, sexual temptation, Martin Luther quite famously said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head. You can keep them from making a nest in your hair, but you cannot keep them from flying over your head. Temptation is not sin. But, but there is a temptation to sin. There is, a, there is an effort to get us to pursue unrighteous desires or to try and fulfill righteous, God-given needs in unrighteous ways. And when that happens, we are tempted. We are tempted to do the wrong thing. And we face all manner of temptations. This isn't limited to sex and chocolate. Temptations are pervasive. I ran across a list that someone came out with that I thought was particularly helpful. They said, I am tempted, and I would sign up with this list of temptations. I am tempted to do what works as opposed to what's right. I am tempted to do what's easy, like... Set your young child in front of the TV to let TV babysit as opposed to being engaged in their life. Tempted to do what's best for me as opposed to what's best for others. Tempted to do what I've always done. Tempted to justify the lesser sin. I'm not going to do this big capital red letter sin, but that means I I get some leeway to do this smaller sin. I'm tempted to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And probably the biggest one, I'm tempted to do nothing. In the face of poverty, in the face of injustice, in the face of of just the brokenness of the world, I'm just tempted to do nothing. We face all manner of temptations to do the wrong thing. Now, you have to understand uh, that, that... These temptations are not all driven by evil forces. We are broken, and we have a desire to do evil without any help whatsoever. Some people say, the devil made me do it, Um, perhaps, but doubtful. Again, there's one devil. There's a lot of lesser foot soldiers, and perhaps you might merit some attention in in those ranks. I don't suspect that I have ever had to do battle with the devil. And we, just, we, we are broken and we are prone to sin. And sin is, some sin anyway, is fun for a season. And it's got a great marketing firm behind it. It always overstates the upside and undersells the, the downside. It's always a bad idea, but we don't always understand that. And so we can get ourselves in trouble without any help whatsoever. We also can tempt each other. And we can be tempted by other forces to to move in the wrong direction. To fulfill unrighteous desires or to fill righteous ones in unrighteous ways. That's one of the ways this word periosmos is used in Scripture. The second way it gets used, again, it's related and oftentimes in real time hard to tell apart. But this is to test or it is a trial But as opposed to being something that is to pull somebody down, it's actually designed as to be something to build someone up. This word is used in 1 Peter, 
when he talks about gold being refined. And the gold, you know, the miner takes the gold ore and puts it into the furnace to melt it down to to reveal its true nature, right? It's not fool's gold, it's the real thing. And also to get rid of the impurities. This is the word that that, that is, is used here in the Lord's Prayer. It has this other meaning. And there are all kinds of different reasons why God might tempt us. Why God might submit us to a test. One of the reasons would be to reveal our character to him or to ourselves or to someone else. We see this with Abraham. When Abraham was instructed to take his son, Isaac, his only son, the son that he loved, and to go to this mountain and to tie him up and to sacrifice him. God ultimately intervened. Abraham was not expected to sacrifice his son, but it was a test. And God commended him when he saw the faith that Abraham had. David is submitted to a test. He fails the test. What is revealed about his character is that he is riddled with with lust and he commits adultery. But as God continues to test him, David repents. And, And he still has lots of problems for his sin, but he is restored in that relationship with God. Saul is tested and repeatedly fails. And and it is clear that God is going to take him out. It's clear to everybody that Saul's heart is filled with pride. So there are reasons why God might submit us to a test so that he could reveal our character. A second reason that God might submit us to a test is in order to drive us to himself. Or, excuse me, in order for us to become stronger. Just as uh, sin, if we commit it, tends to weaken us, and it is then harder to do the right thing, when we encounter, James says, various trials, those trials, when passed, lead to greater endurance. We grow stronger. Abraham Heschel, uh, uh, one of the prominent Jewish uh, theologians, Writing about this says, Faith like Job's cannot be torn apart by trials because faith like Job's is the result of trials. So we get put into the furnace in order to be made stronger. A third reason that we might find God tempting us in this way is so that we would be driven closer to him. One of, the, one of the basic observations about life is that when life is going well, we don't pray with the kind of desperation and heartfelt uh, energy that we do when life is not going well. When, when, when we're getting knocked sideways, we find ourselves far more often on our knees seeking God. Last week I was... Um, in New York, I went there to, uh, to, to visit a church, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in, in Manhattan. And uh, it's a church I've been interested in for some time, and the, they actually have three different locations and five services, and the pastor just uh, travels around. And so I, I felt a little bit like a stalker, but I was just following this guy around from place to place. And uh, in, in God's uh, providence, um, in the afternoon, I actually then ran into him in uh, Manhattan. 
uh, and had a chance on the streets of Manhattan to run into him and to ask him some questions. Uh, so then I was a stalker at that point, and that's, uh, I tried to assure him I wasn't. But uh, I wanted to follow up on something I had heard, this, Tim Keller is his name, him say before, and he directed me to the writings of a guy by the name of John Flavel, a Puritan who wrote back in the 17th century. And Flavel's perhaps one of his most famous uh, works. It's called On Keeping the Heart. And in it, he talks about the enormously difficult work of, of guarding and, and purifying our heart. And he says, heart work is the hardest work we ever do, and it's nonstop. We never get to release. And, and, and as I read through this, he then comes and identifies 12 situations in which we are likely to falter spiritually. And the first, the most dangerous situation, according to John Flavel, this Puritan writer, is an easy life. He said, if, when things are going well, he said, outward gains are almost universally met with inward decay. When life is going well, it's just hard to maintain that kind of hunger and desire to seek God and to have him guide us. So God might put us in trials and, and these, these temptations, as the word is being used here, in order to drive us to himself. And then there's a fourth reason, and maybe there's more, but one of the other reasons may be just so that we might be an encouragement to other people as they see us continue to follow God and to love God and to walk in the paths of righteousness even when things are not working out. So there are a handful of good reasons why God might lead us into temptation, which raises this question. Well, if there are good reasons why God might lead us into temptation, then why are we instructed to pray, don't lead us into temptation? The answer is because no right-minded person wants to sign up for a trial. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not fun. And a trial, by definition, tends to come in exactly the area that you don't want it to come in. I mean, that's what I find myself saying. You know, God, God do this. I'll, I'll go through this. Just not this. Not what I'm in now. This is what I don't want. And we're praying this, of course, not just for ourselves. Remember, the, the pronouns that get used throughout the Lord's Prayer are plural. We're praying this for the church as well. Lord, do not lead us into periods of tempting and trial and difficulty. I think a second reason why we should not, um, or we should pray, do not lead us into temptation, is when you think of what the opposite request would be, right? God, lead me into temptation. Bring it on. Here I am. I'm ready. Give me your best shot, right? I can take it. Whatever you send my way, I'm going to be rock solid. Well, we obviously know that is not the kind of prayer that we want to pray. Pride comes before the fall. So, as one commentator put it and sort of summarized this, and I thought it was just very helpful and spot on. What we are praying when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is, Heavenly Father, spare me from this trial. I'm broken and weak, 
But if in your wisdom you see it as necessary for your glory or my spiritual growth, then give me the strength to come through this unscathed. Do not let this trial lead me into sin. Do not let me get beat up by the evil one. And that is a great thing to pray. So, what can we then assume if Christ is teaching us to pray this? Well, I think for starters, we can assume that we are going to face trials and temptations. That that will be a normal part of our life. We shouldn't be surprised when they come our way. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert to be tempted by Satan. He was led by the Spirit of God into a temptation. He then tells us that we need to be praying so that we do not fall into temptation and that we should expect difficulties and trials. So we should not be surprised when we encounter various trials. I think a second thing that we see here is that there is always a way out. Woven into this prayer request and woven into the other teachings that we have in Scripture about trials and temptations is the, is the idea that we will never find ourselves in a situation where we are expected to use unrighteous pathway to fulfill God-given needs. And, and Paul says that very directly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, when he says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God will never tempt you to sin. It's, that is never his intention. It is always to build you up. And he will never allow you to be tempted by someone else, by circumstances, by Satan. He will never allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to maintain, to go the right way. But that leads to the third point. We need help. We can't do it alone. Good intentions are not good enough. Our will, our resolve, our sort of personal effort to say I'm headed down this path is remarkably weak. We have, a, we have a default broken sinful nature that is going to lead us in the wrong path. If you are relying on good intentions and hard work to overcome evil, you will fail. We're told in Scripture not to resist temptation, we're told to flee temptation. Not to sort of stand up against it and to think we're going to do battle. We are told to run because we're weak. We need help. We need the help of God and we need the help of each other. So very practically, I, I would give you a handful of things that I think you ought to, to, to do or things that you ought to be thinking about as it relates to temptation. The first one is... I think it would be prudent for you to do a, a bit of, of reflection on when you, what, what the situation is in which you find yourself tempted. Is there any sort of pattern? Right? What kind of temptations are you likely to succumb to? 
We're all different. I mean, to some extent, we've got similar kinds of temptations. I mean, nothing that's tempting you is unique and novel to you, right? We're, we're the same, but at the same time, we're different. And so what's going to tempt me might be different than what's going to tempt you, different than what's going to tempt you. It's, it's, we're unique, and so we need to recognize that and pay particular attention to times when we find ourselves in trouble. And then we need to... to proactively avoid those situations because we are seldom more virtuous than the options that are immediately in front of us. We are seldom more virtuous than the options that are immediately in front of us. So we have to limit the options. I discovered uh, 20 some years ago uh, in in my late 20s it just occurred to me, listening to somebody speak, that um, time I spent up after 11 o'clock at night was at best neutral and could often be problematic to my own spiritual development. But time I spent up early in the morning was almost always spiritually profitable. And so I just changed the alarm. And I said, I'm going to go to bed earlier and I'm going to get up earlier because I need to just avoid the things that happen at night. So, that's, that's my story. Your story may be very different, but we need to be a student of our own behavior. When is it that I find myself tempted? What are the situations? How do I avoid them? Secondly, it's, it would be helpful to us to actually do a little reflection on ways that we might actually be causing other people to sin. Remember, we are praying this prayer not just for ourselves. We are praying this for others. So what are the kinds of things that we might do to limit uh, leading other people into sin? We see in Scripture some very specific counsel that gets directed to fathers. To not... Uh, to not lead their children to sin by being inconsistent in discipline or too heavy-handed. Right? And so we tempt our kids to anger and, and rebellion when we are not being who we should be. There, there are ways that we can act or dress that would lead other people into sexual temptation. We need to be aware that um, Shakespeare's question Who commits the worst sin, the tempter or the tempted, is probably both. Samuel Johnson says, if you lead your neighbor to sin, you share the guilt. So it's probably worth a little reflection on that point. A third thing that I would recommend is that we recognize the, the battle plan of Christ himself, who when he was tempted, quoted Scripture. So when Christ is being tempted by Satan, even though his very words are divine, he relies on quotations, most of them out of the book of Deuteronomy, in order to rebuff the attack. There are times when I find that the only thing that tends to bring the right perspective and a way forward is to just fall back on memorized scripture and and to use that as uh, as the guide, to put on that spiritual armor. Fourth, we need, uh, we need help. 
And so one of this, part of this would be that we need some very real flesh and blood accountability in our life. We need, uh, we need to be in the kinds of relationships, we need to be in the kinds of groups where we're going to be encouraged to love and good deeds, where we're going to be prodded when we're tending to slip behind, where we're going to be pushed forward. Uh, at Men's Fraternity, I, I know I share this at Men's Fraternity, I can't remember if I've shared this uh, on a Sunday morning or not, but I have a couple friends with whom I interact uh, several times a week. And it's, it's just ongoing calls. They don't live in the area, but we, we, we track each other's lives very closely. And we ask each other lots of questions. And, and the relationship, and it takes a while to get there, but, but the relationship is any question can be asked, every question will be answered. And there's great freedom and joy that comes from having people who know the temptations. And if you confess the temptations, the good news is then you're less likely to have to confess the sin. If you've got people who are walking alongside you, encouraging you that you know are going to ask you questions about how you're doing in these areas, then you do better. We need accountability, the accountability of other people, and we need the support and encouragement of God and His Spirit as He guides and directs us. And we get that in part by praying this prayer. And so, I want to encourage you, as I have been encouraging you, to make this prayer part of the cadence of your daily life, at least once a day, that you would thoughtfully pray this prayer that Christ taught us. And I invite you even now, as this sermon comes to an end, to stand and to join with me as we recite the prayer that Christ taught us Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.